0: Hello and welcome to the Triage Method Podcast with me, Gary McGowan, and
1: my co-host as always, Mr. Patrick Farrell. Patty, how are you this week? I'm positively splendid, Gary. It's been beautifully sunny, so I've been happy. Getting a nice little tan on. Same yeah, as myself, still out here in
0: Portugal, home now early in the week, but uh, still enjoying the beautiful weather
1: in Portuguese. Uh, I was gonna say beaches, but not a big fan of the beaches, you know, so we'll just leave that. Forest, forest enjoyers, mountain enjoyers, that's where it's at. So, wave voids and beach widths
0: aside, today we're gonna to talk a little bit about bodybuilding, okay? So, firstly, two things. One, this is the how to train series, so we're gonna work through a number of different goals and tell you exactly the core principles of training to reach that goal, but the second thing is that If you came into this podcast and saw the word bodybuilding and thought, oh, I'm not a bodybuilder, I don't need this. It's actually really important to note that bodybuilding actually encompasses a lot of us, okay? Because what we're focusing on here is how to build muscle. And of course, a bodybuilder, a competitive bodybuilder, is going to be taking that to the extreme. But a lot lot of us, in some capacity, if we want to improve how we look for the beach, if we want to build muscle for the purpose of health, we actually still have a bodybuilding goal at the core. So that's really important. A lot of us should think of ourselves when we're in the gym a little bit more like bodybuilders. Of course, still doing our cardio and things like that. But we are all, you know, bodybuilders in some capacity. We just might be getting on stage uh, in our trunks.
1: Yeah, like there's a, a difference between like the amateur and then the professional and I don't even mean that in terms of like whether or not you get paid to do this it's like you know, when we're talking about the amateur it's like this is just a person doing it casually like you're a casual bodybuilder you know I suppose actually that's probably a better categorization it's like you're a casual bodybuilder in terms of you're building your body casually uh, and then you're an amateur like you're actually trying to start going for bodybuilding competitions and stuff you know um, and then maybe if you're pro if you're jacked out of your mind you can go pro and um, but it, the goal of bodybuilding is a really interesting one because if you go into any gym and say, oh yeah, I'm a bodybuilder, people will automatically assume you're a competitive bodybuilder. Even though the vast majority of people in the gym or even outside the gym, like they do actually try to build their body in terms of they try to build muscle. You know, And I'm talking obviously about people who are interested in their health and fitness, not just the average person. The average person is not going like, Oh yeah, I'm, I'm act- actively trying to build muscle while not exercising. Like, yeah, that's just that's just not the case, you know. Um, but as we were saying in the last episode in this series, we have to try to cut through all the noise when we talk about training specifics of a you know a specific goal, whether it's you know, I don't know, rugby, Brazilian jiu jitsu, just general health. Bodybuilding, whatever, right? Like you type that in online, like how to train like a bodybuilder or how to train to start bodybuilding, whatever search terms you come up with. You get so much fucking noise, right? And as we said in the last episode, and we've said it you know, loads of times throughout the podcast uh, series and we say it all the time in general, um, we want to focus on the principles, not the protocols. Very often people get too caught up on the protocols. They get too caught up on trying to follow like whatever ex bodybuilder did they're like oh well this guy did this so i'm just going to copy what they did and get good results you know i'm going to get the same results as them when that person probably had you know, first of all just great genetics but you know that person probably had a better understanding of the principles and manipulated their training to get the results that they wanted, right? Or they just would have got results on any program anyway because they just have phenomenal genetics, (laughs) which is probably, you know, the case for most people that are, like, at the top echelons of uh, bodybuilding and other sports, you know? But us as individuals, we want to focus on the main principles around the how to set up our training because if we understand the principles then we can always change the protocols we can always manipulate the protocols like oh we need to train maybe your legs don't respond as well as my legs so my training program i need to do i need to train legs less because they're already a dominant body part whereas for you you need to train them more or you need to do more volume or more intensity or whatever Which we'll talk about all that kind of stuff now in a second and but if you understand the principles you're not left just following the exact same program that I'm following and it's not getting you the results that you want, you know, because you're not me, right? Or, you know, the bodybuilder of your dreams, whatever, right? So there's a few things as well that I do want to cover in this episode. Well, talk through the basic like resistance training principles because obviously that's going to be the bread and butter stuff that we do here when we're talking about bodybuilding because that's what drives the, the muscle growth. But I do also want to talk about the broader training, uh, I don't know what you want to call it, theory, whatever, right, set up, because very often when we talk about bodybuilding, people are, unfortunately, they're optimizing for the shorter term, and they're not really thinking longer term, right, and this goes for whether you are like, the bodybuilder, who's like, I want to be, you know, 300 pounds on stage, shredded out of my mind, or you're just the casual, like, oh, I just want to get a bit bigger, right? Like we still need to be thinking not, oh, what do we do over the next 10 years to build the body that we want? We also need to be thinking, well, what am I going to do when I'm 40, 50, 60, 70, 80? You know, like what's the long term here? Am I just going to drop off training? Am I just going to, you know, no no longer train? Am I just going to try to stay as big as possible? Because We see this all the time with, you know, actual professional bodybuilders and stuff. They try to stay as big as possible and, it's probably just not a healthy approach, right? So when we're talking about all this stuff, we need to optimize not only for the results that we want in the shorter term, we also need to optimize for the longer term. Now, this is really, it's actually really handy in this term in in regards to this goal, uh, bodybuilding, because bodybuilding takes so fucking long, right? Building muscle is so slow. There's this... Whenever we talk about like biology, I always think that there's this kind of concept uh, of, and it's kind of hard for most average people to kind of just get their head around because it's not really how you think in the, the, the world, right? It's kind of like compound interest, really, but we want to optimize for the duration of time, right? We want to optimize for getting things right for a longer period of time, not just getting things perfect For a shorter period of time or not just i'm gonna go extra hard for a short period of time right all these processes in the body well not all but the vast majority of processes in the body like they just take a long time like say for example how do you prevent heart disease like oh my ldl is whatever you know it's it's high so i'm going to go on the most aggressive statin therapy i'm going to go change my diet do every single thing to get that down to as low as possible right and yeah that's definitely an approach right But what a better approach would be was, well, let's actually just make sure that it's at a lower level for a long, 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 long time. You know, like it's been low since you were 12. (laughs) Like that would be a much better approach from the perspective of like preventing heart disease. And it's kind of the same with muscle building where yeah, you can train really hard for 12 weeks, 16 weeks and really push your body and you can get phenomenal results. Don't get me wrong. You can build a significant amount of muscle, but that significant amount of muscle that you can build in that 12 weeks pales in comparison with the significant amount of muscle that you can build over 20, 30, 40 years, (laughs) you know? So that's actually what we want to optimize for. And unfortunately, the vast majority of people optimize for that. I'm gonna try to train hard for 12 weeks or 16 weeks I'm gonna go on the most aggressive training program like super high volume I'm gonna be pushing myself and they do that they you know they get some good results but then they drop off because it was too hard you know it wasn't something that they could sustain for even a year it's not something they could sustain for a couple of months it's something that they could only stay for that 12week block right so we have to keep that in mind that we're optimizing for duration right and with that in mind, we also need to think of, well, what's the end goal after we've already achieved the goal? Like, let's say your goal is, I want to be 100 kilos, shredded out of my mind. What happens after that? Are you still going to be pushing training as hard? Are you going to be dropping training back? Are you going to be doing a little bit more like cardiovascular training? Like, you need to be thinking about that stuff overall. Now, we're obviously not going to cover absolutely every nuance of that discussion today. We're really just talking about how to set up, you know, training. But I do want you to keep that in mind where... You might be listening to this bodybuilding, like, how to train series here, like, or this episode in that series, but other episodes in the series might also apply to you, like we just covered the, like, general health stuff, you know, so just because you're focused on bodybuilding doesn't mean that you then just go, oh, well, I'm not even going to listen to that episode because, you know, it doesn't matter to me, because it does matter to you, because you need to be doing some of those things right now, and we'll, we'll touch on them, but then after... When You've achieved your bodybuilding goal. You're, I get 100 kilos shredded, whatever the goal is. Like, maybe you are going to switch to a bit more of a general health focused approach and you're just going to maintain the muscle mass that you have. Maybe focus on a few areas where you're like, oh, I wouldn't mind getting a bit stronger or bigger or whatever in those areas, you know. Anyway, Gary, I should add to that where do we start when we're thinking about the program set up for the goal of bodybuilding? Yeah, so the first
0: first core principle that i'll cover in two points is that of training volume so when we talk about training volume, what we're talking about is our best quantification of how much work that you're doing and that is actually surprisingly imprecise but useful which is the number of sets that you do per body part okay you can obviously look at this in terms of Per whole body or per session itself as well uh, but per body part tends to be the most helpful as it allows you to stratify uh, based on what muscles you want to work what muscles are you know, require more work what muscles maybe you don't have as good recovery in and so on okay so the general recommendation and this is obviously a general guideline it is supported by the available research but we're always going to have some variations from this is 10 to 20 sets per body part, per week. So, in practice, what that might look like would be, let's say you're somewhere in the middle of the range, you're going for 15 sets per week, that would be seven days, or seven sets for chest, let's say, on a Monday, and eight sets for chest on a Friday, something like that, okay? So let's say you do four sets of bench press and three sets of a machine chest press, there's your seven sets, okay? And people get all worked up about you know, oh, do my warm-up sets count? You know, what if what if my, I'm doing a shoulder press and my chest is also working? Just don't sweat it too much, okay? We're talking generally about exercises where there's a dominant prime mover, okay? So like in a bench press, your chest is going to be probably the biggest contributor there. Um, We'd consider that to be a triceps exercise as well. So don't get too worried about, you know, do I need to count um, my squats towards my trap and lack volume because I'm holding the bar. You There's no need to go that deep on it. Uh, It's just a general recommendation of 10 to 20 sets per body part per week, and that's a good place to start. Then what you do is you say, okay, per workout, what should I do? Should I do all 20 sets in one workout? Probably not, okay? I'd go somewhere between maybe eight and 10 sets um, at most per body part per workout. Because what happens is, If you need 20 sets, let's say, and you do a all in one workout, the second 10 sets that you do are gonna be in a fatigued state. You're not as focused anymore. You're a little bit lower in energy. Maybe your shoulder's starting to get at you. You're not gonna be able to get the same quality stimulus out of the second 10 sets as you would the first. And therefore, from a practical perspective, it makes a lot more sense to split it up into at least two sessions per week especially as you go towards higher and higher volumes. Okay. So that's the first thing in
1: relation to volume. You're gonna need to add on the volume topic value. Um, and not really. I I think it is important, again, for most people, you see all these discussions of like, well, oh, should I count my working sets and what if I do like one hard set and then like a, a back off set and, you know, all these kind of different again, protocols. And it, it's just it's just noise, right? It's just it doesn't matter, right? Just think of them in terms of hard sets. How many hard sets did you do? And what's a hard set? Let's just say it's a set that you do that is within five reps of failure. You know, so if you're able to do 120 kilo squat for eight reps, you know, and you do that 120 kilos and you do two reps, you know, it might be a little bit challenging because you know it's you know the weight is 120 kilos regardless of if you go to failure or not. But I probably wouldn't count that towards your sets. You know, it's just you barely even got moving. It's two reps. You're nowhere near failure. You know, it's just like that probably moved very quickly. Yeah, you still have to be focused, but it just wasn't a hard set, right? And if it was a hard set and you're like breathing, you have to like catch your breath between every single rep or whatever. That probably isn't an actual eight rep max. It's probably eight singles because you do see people do that all the time (laughs) where they spend like five minutes in between, Every single rep from rep one, you know, you, you basically just did a cluster set, right? But anyway, I digress, right? So it's just hard sets, five, within five reps of failure, you know, count those. And this is this is something that is a little bit annoying. And again, it goes back to this like noise where you'll see people say like, oh, I actually need like really low volume. I really just go for like a low volume approach. These guys are saying ten to twenty body part or 20, ten to twenty sets per body part per week, and I do like eight max. And when you actually look at their training and you see them training, like they do like 10 warm-up sets and those warm-up sets for that one set that they're like, oh, I just do one set. It's like those warm-up sets are like hard, like they're pushing like, yeah, okay, it's not the, the eight rep target or the six to eight rep target or whatever that they, they were aiming for, but they were doing all of the warm-up sets relatively close to failure. Like, so you would just, you would, they're just sets, <laughs> Right.
0: Yeah, absolutely. So yeah. That, that kind of goes both ways really, doesn't it? You know, the the warm upsets topic, if you're doing tons and tons and tons of warm upsets, that's all contributing. But then on the other side of things, you know, sometimes people, they're counting sets that are their warm upsets that they're really not putting much effort into, and they could probably be doing a little bit more volume or a little bit more quality work, okay? So, you know, that my clients ask me about that all the time. They're like, you know, Gary, yeah, I did my first set, and then I realized the weight that I set was way too light, should I count that as a set? It's you know, Just count the challenging sets where you feel like you were working at the appropriate RPE or reps and reserve target, which we'll get to in a moment, and don't stress about it too much, okay? And the only other point I'll add on that is, when I say 10 to 20, I know you sitting at home, all you hear is 20. <laughs> it happens all the time. As soon as we give a range of volume, people just go right to the top. Okay, and don't don't do that. The thing is, people think they're like cheating the system. It's like if if 10 to 20 is the range, then 20 means the best results. But it actually doesn't because sometimes you do too much too soon. You get injured or you actually just create so much muscle damage and so much recovery deficit that you maybe even gain less muscle, okay? So more isn't always better. So don't just hammer yourself in the ground if you don't need it. And I suppose one thing to note in that then is, how do I know if if I should do more or if I should do less? And some really simple common sense indicators, like are you extremely sore? for three plus days every time you do this workout, you're probably doing a little bit too much, I'd probably pull volume back a touch. On the other side of things, if you're never sore and you feel like you always have more to give in your workouts and you could be doing more, then maybe that's an indication that you could indeed go up the chain, okay? So that's for another day to get into those nuances, but use a little bit of common sense there and you'll actually get quite far. Because the next thing to talk about is how much effort you put into your sets. And this is really important, as it's integral to the discussion of volume, really. And what we say is, most of the time, I would say on average, two to three reps in reserve, meaning that at the end of your set, you have two to three more reps that you could do, but you're not going to do voluntarily. That's probably the sweet spot for most of your sets, most of the time. Now I know there's some of you that are saying but why wouldn't i just go to failure it just seems intuitive that i do as much as i can and to be honest with you a lot of the time when we look at what people call failure in the gym they're actually still a few reps from failure and there's probably really are around this two to three reps in reserve range you know most people don't train as hard as they think they do and one of the things that we try to do is help our clients to calibrate where this two to three reps reserve is. So for example, I'll have a client that is rating two RIR, two RIR on all their sets, I get them to send me a video, and I'm saying, look, I'll be honest with you, that looks more like five. I think you could push yourself a bit further. So that's one of the things you can do to improve your calibration here is to start uh, videoing your sets, reviewing them yourself, and if you happen to have a friend or a coach yourself that could, uh, or your own coach, that could have a look at these for you, then they can review and give you some feedback. And that's how you get better at gauging this over time. And the reason we don't want to go to true failure all the time, like
1: genuinely not able to perform Just another rep. Before you, before you get stuck into that, like another way to do it is to pick a really safe exercise for your chest, you know? Just do a, a chest press machine and actually go to failure. Like go to the point where you're like, I physically cannot do another rep, right? Like I actually try, and it gets like a quarter of the way and I'm shaking and I'm pushing as hard as possible. Now you have an idea of like, oh, well, that's what failure feels like. That's what failure looks like for this exercise at least, you know. And you can build that kind of mental picture of like, okay, well, what did I feel like when I was three reps from failure, you know. And you can kind of, again, just build that mental picture in your head of like, okay, well, that's what that felt like on that exercise. Now it might be different for different exercises, but you once you do that, you'll realize that, oh, fuck, I haven't been training to failure like I thought I was. And when I see all these other people that say they're training to failure, like, they're they're not training to failure, you know? And this is one of those things that does actually, like, trigger me a little bit when people are like, oh, like, I thought, like, I couldn't do this, like, reps in reserve stuff. I need to do, like, training to failure because, you know, I, like, I have, to, I have to know I've given it all my all, right? And I know you're going to get into, like, why that's not a good approach now in a second. But when you see half these people train, like, well, I mean, it's more than half, the vast majority of these people who train, you look at what they say failure is for them, and you're like, you literally have about three reps left here. Like, you could push harder for three reps. Like, this is, not, this is not failure. This is literally what three reps from failure looks like and feels like. You know, you're just stopping because it momentarily got a bit sore. You know, you got a little bit pumped or whatever, you know. And that's just three reps from failure. Like, people have this idea in their head that, oh, well, if I don't go to failure, like... I'm not going to be training hard enough. Like three reps from failure is easy. No, three reps from failure is like the, the weight's already starting to like grind. Like you have to like push. It's got, it's going slow, you know? So when someone says that, they're like, Oh, there's three reps from failure. is easy training. Like you just know, you can almost guarantee that that person does not train to failure because what they're talking about as, Oh, well that's failure. Like the, the weight started to slow down and it was a bit challenging. I'm like, yeah, that's what it feels like when you're three reps from failure. (laughs) Like, yeah. exactly um so
0: exactly. so that is really important and videoing yourself or getting someone else to review it is is a good start there, okay um and then uh, as patty said what you can do is have like challenge sets programmed into your your workouts i do this with clients sometimes and like patty said the, the best thing you can do is you do it on a safe exercise you know don't say all right i'm going to do barbell back squats and, and see when I fail and then you're lying on the floor with the bar on top of you and your spine is broken. It's just not a great situation, okay? So instead, um, pick a, a machine exercise ideally and go after it. You'll find that you have a lot more in the tank. Now, with that said, the reason you don't wanna to go to total failure all the time is because you just get a disproportionate amount of fatigue and there's probably an increase in injury risk uh, relative to just staying a couple of reps shy of failure. We also don't have you know, great evidence to suggest that You know, that this comes, the disproportionate fatigue comes with disproportionate gains in muscle because that would be worth it. If we could see that taking every single set to failure um, gained or allowed you to gain significantly more muscle and that outweighs the additional fatigue or the injury risk that might come from that, then that probably would be worth it, especially if you're a a bodybuilder. Um, But I just don't think that evidence is there, and I'd be more than happy to change my mind if if that was the case, because I quite enjoy training to failure myself. You know, it was actually a a change in my training approach in the past to move towards leaving a few reps in the tank, because it it seems like a smart approach. And I'm probably a little bit biased here as well by the fact that I work with so many people who are injured and who have got injured in the gym and where pain significantly obstructs their training and using reps in reserve reps in the tank and not going to failure all the time is really game-changing for a lot of those clients specifically so especially if you're someone who's been you know constantly having niggles in the gym constantly injured this is something you really need to consider so in summary two to three reps in reserve most of the time in reality, what this probably looks like, if you were to look at the programs that we put out, it's probably zero to four. That's like the big range, because sometimes we program to failure, you know, especially on those safer exercises towards the end of the workout. And sometimes I want my clients to actually stay even further from failure. And it wouldn't be uncommon for me to write a program where I have five reps in a reserve even, especially as my clients come back from injury. And I really just don't want them going anywhere near that point. All I want them is to just start getting that little bit of stimulus. Okay? So, with that said, the next question that someone will ask is, how many reps should I do? And to be honest, this is probably one of the first questions a lot of people ask in the beginner stage, you know, should I do 10, should I do 20? What should I be doing? And most of the time, the practical range is somewhere between six and 15 reps. And again, in reality, it's probably, if you were to look at our programs, you might see somewhere between one and 30 as kind of the broad range that's there. But six to 15 probably covers 90% 90% of the sets that we're gonna program in uh, a workout that's designed for muscle building. As you go below that, you're training more maximal strength um, and that might be a good thing if that's your goal. Uh, but it does come with a lot of fatigue and again, that kind of risk uh, associated with it. So that's sort of like the training to failure equivalent, but on the reps front. And then on the very high end, if you're doing sets of 30, again, you actually get disproportionate amounts of fatigue associated with that. Um, because of the very high metabolite production that we start to get. Um, And it's also just a a practical consideration doing a lot of reps to get the same stimulus as doing less reps. doesn't really make sense from a time perspective. It does make sense in some cases where let's say I have a client again that's injured and I want them to use lighter weights overall. If they do more reps then we get less joint stress and we can still get a similar stimulus. So it is useful in some cases, but 6 to 15 covers the majority of the sets that we would program, I would say.
1: Yeah, I would agree, especially for bodybuilding, like this is the probably most bang for your buck rep ranges. Now, it it can be a little bit hard to uh, rationalize that, because if we just said, right, right, basically the last five reps are kind of the money sets. You know, they're they're the, the... the, the money rep, so to speak, I should say, uh, where you're like, oh, those last five reps, once you're within five reps of failure, like we're like, that's a that's a hard set, count that as a hard set, you know, count that towards your overall volume, you know, and um, so if that's the case, why not just do five reps, just do five reps on everything, it's like, that's the, the lowest you need to do, if it's like, you, you need to do five reps or be within five reps, just do five reps, so you know, every single one of those reps is a stimulating rep, so to speak, right, but you get a disproportionate amount of fatigue by doing that right now, five reps yeah maybe you can get away with it right but the actual reward that you get from that is not necessarily proportionate to the amount of fatigue that that generates right like because i and sometimes it just doesn't make sense like what are you going to do five reps on your curls like you're going to do five rep max on your bicep curls like there's just so much extra juggle, extra movement going on that you're probably not going to be able to put a a significant amount of force into that bicep curl to do like a true five rep max, unless you really locked everything down, like your your arm was by your side, locked in, everything, whatever, right? Um, So practically speaking, it just doesn't make a a lot of sense to go like really low on the reps and you get a disproportionate amount of fatigue. And similarly, like what you're saying, like if you go up onto the high end of the rep range, where you're above 15, like... For most people, you're going to get a significant like cardiovascular uh, challenge from that. You're also going to have to deal with a lot of this like metabolic waste, these like buildup of like hydrogen ions and different things, lactate, etc. Right? Which isn't necessarily bad and can potentially play a role in muscle building and signaling for other things as well. It's not I'm not say it's bad, but it's also very fatiguing. It's also very hard to train that way like if I'm not saying oh yeah you need to do uh, three sets of 30 on each leg for your Bulgarian split squats you know like you're going to be in fucking bits after set one, you're going to be on the ground, heart rate 120 beats per minute. You Okay, right, that wasn't too bad, you know, but it was, it was quite a significant cardiovascular stimulus. Set two, you're at 180 beats per minute on your heart. You're <laughs> like struggling to even breathe. And it's not your actual quads or your glutes or whatever way you're doing the Bulgarian split squats that are the limiting factor. It's the fact that you're sucking in air and your legs are absolutely... Burning just in general, your hands are burning if you're holding the weight. Like, again, we just have to think about what's practically a, an easier way to do the rep, the set, to get the same result or potentially even get better results. Like, are you more likely to push hard on a set of 30 on your Bulgarian sw- split squats or are you more likely to push hard on a set of eight? You know, it's probably going to be easier to push that set of eight harder versus that set of 30. So again, we're just talking about this broad range, six to 15 reps. It doesn't have to be, like if you do 16 reps, it's not to say that you're getting shit results. If you do five reps, again, not to say you're getting shit results. But practically, that six to 15 rep range seems to be the kind of sweet spot. Yes sir, i mean, And then the next thing is,
0: you know, well, should I do the same weights forever? Is that is that just what I do? I just do three sets, 10, same weights, And of course the answer is no. One of the core things that we need to have in pretty much any program, whether it's for endurance, for strength, for muscle building, is some form of progression. Okay, so you need to progress your your workouts over time. Uh, We typically call this progressive overload, and the idea here is that you increase the stimulus that you're applying to the body as the body adapts, uh, as you won't be able to continue applying the same stimulus uh, with the same weights as you adapt. Okay, that's the whole point. If you lift 100 kilos for 10 reps for 10 weeks in a row and you adapt to that now your body treats that as a lower stimulus because it has adapted so you therefore need to increase the number of reps that you're doing the number of sets that you're doing the weight that you're lifting or other variables like um maybe slowing down the tempo for example okay so there's many different ways of progressing the most common one is if you have a fixed workout, that you just try to increase the weight on the bar or on the machine, etc. So for example, you go in one week and you add 2.5 kilos, can you do the same amount of reps? Does it feel just as difficult? Does it feel more difficult? And then you do that for a couple of weeks and then you try to add more weight and so on. The same thing can be applied then if you had a, a rep range, let's say, of eight to 12 reps. You might do eight reps one week, nine the next, then 10 and 11 and 12. Once you reach the top, then you increase the weight and you go back down the rep ladder. So it's kind of like a double progression method. That's something we use a lot of the time. Um, and then you can increase sets overall, which is something that you can use, I would say sparingly, okay? Because if you try to use this all the time, you end up doing, you know, 40 sets and it's just ridiculous. But it is something that you can use um, throughout your program. For example, if you have an eight-week program that's planned out, maybe in the first few weeks, the, the sets are stable, but you're aiming to add weight and reps and then as you move further into the program, maybe towards the end, you add an extra set or two per exercise and now you've got a really potent stimulus towards the end that might be a little bit on the upper end of what we're able to tolerate, but then maybe you have your, your load or slightly lower. Uh, volume approach then going into your next phase or as a kind of recovery period after that phase of training. Okay, so that's something you can do but I would say increasing weight or reps is the real cornerstone here when it comes to progression.
1: Yeah, I would agree and I think for most people the most practical way to think about things is just that classical way of just like, oh, I'm going to try to do a little bit heavier weight week on week, right? I want to see it going up. Over time, the way I always, I often, well, I, yeah, I often describe it to my clients is like when you were learning to do your multiplication times tables, you know, like you didn't just stop at like your two times tables. You didn't just go, oh, just two times tables. I know all my twos. That's me done. You know, like you've become accustomed to that stimulus. You know how that works. You're going to to get better at maths overall. You're going to need to learn your three times tables, your four or five, and so on, right? And that's kind of what we need to do with training. You need to go okay you've you've mastered this, you know, you've you've got this weight, it's perfect, everything's good about it. You 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 you've squeezed all the juice, so to speak. So we need to progress it in some way, right? The easiest way to progress it is just to add a little bit more weight, right? Now, again, that's not always practical. Um, especially if you're training a smaller muscle group you're a smaller individual weaker individual like you might be better served by adding some more reps now that's not always the case as well but either way those are our kind of two main variables here you can either add a little bit more weight or you can add a little bit more reps fantastic now the other one like we can control the tempo better control the exercise better you know really try to maximize the quality of the rep that's obviously another way that we can really progressively overload but i would kind of argue that we should do that from the start um, but either way, another way we can do it is we can push for more sets. And this is actually something that I really like, right? But the major drawback of this is that, like Gary said, first of all, what are you going to do? Just keep getting up to like 40 sets, 50 sets per body part per week, you know? It's, it's not practical, right? But let's just say we're still staying within a normal range. You're like, maybe you're getting up to like 25 sets, maybe even 30 sets, body part per week you know you're above the 10 to 20 that we're saying but you're you're really trying to push the sets and you know you're going to have like a deload or something in the future right like the major limiting factor here is the fact that the vast majority of people that are training have other commitments you're not going to be spending like four hours in the gym you know it would be great if you could be like oh yeah i'm just going to do like 30 sets per body part but to spread that across the week you're either going to have to train twice per day which a lot of bodybuilders do or your training sessions are just going to have to be like these mammoth sessions of like two to three hours, right? So that's just impractical for the vast majority of people. So for the vast majority of people, you're going to have to focus on, can I get stronger? Can I add more weight to the bar? Or can I maybe do an extra rep or two here across time, you know? So that's something to keep in mind. Now, one of the things that I find, and you you might disagree with this, Gary, is for beginners to intermediate and even like touching into advanced right it's really easy to keep making progress by just adding more reps or adding more weight right but there comes a point where like strength gains they're just so slow like you've already like you're already incredibly strong you know adding an extra rep is actually like a monumental task, right? Or adding an extra, even like kilo to the bar is a monumental task. Now, you can somewhat overcome this with, you know, the smaller micro plates or, you know, they have different names, but these like smaller plates that are like a hundred grams, you know, like, so you can still be making some progress. But what I often find when people are in that kind of late intermediate to advanced, pushing that vector for progressive overload of you know trying to add more reps or trying to add more weight it becomes a very slow return endeavor where you might actually get a better return by just adding more sets you know like if you've always done let's just say three sets of 10 like that's kind of like your jam it's like that's that's my bread and butter I've been focusing on that I've been doing that for all my exercises and now I'm like I don't know bench pressing like 140 kilos for three sets of 10 you know it's like but I just can't I can't go more than that. Like you're already like incredibly strong. You've got great results. Your chest is huge, etc. etc. Right? Obviously, if you're benching 140 kilos for three sets of ten, you would expect to get a nice return on investment, right? But you still want more progress. You're like, oh, how do I push this? Like I can't really add more weight. And you've done different things in terms of like these like wave loading, you're like, oh, pull the weight back a little bit and just really focus on the quality, and I'm still training with these like two to three reps in reserve, etc. etc. Right. But you always kind of bump up to this like 140 kilos, three sets of 10. What can be really good then is to do, okay, well, we're just going to change it. We're going to do four sets of 10, right? So uh, over time, again, you maybe start at 120 and you build back up. If you can get four sets of 10, like you've actually just done like 33% more volume in that single workout. So you've done 33% more because you've gone from like three sets of 10 to four sets of 10, right? So that can be a really potent stimulus, especially as you get up to the kind of topper, topper, the upper (laughs) uh, limit of like your strength abilities, right? And maybe obviously you have more to gain, whatever. It's not to say that that you're just topped out, you're done. Um, But that's something that I find. Now, again, it is one of those things where the more and more sets you add, the lower return on investment you actually get. Because again, if you go from three sets to four sets, you're now doing 133%, right? Um, so obviously you'd expect like a nice bump, not maybe 33% extra gains, but at least a, a nice bump, you know? Whereas if you go from four sets of 10 to five sets of 10, you've only done 125% extra. So you've, you've increased the overall volume by a lower amount, relatively speaking. So obviously the results you get from that, you would presume they're going to be lower, even though you feel like you've put in more work. But again, Proportionately, it's actually a lower increase in volume, you know, Brian, what are your thoughts on that?
0: Yeah, um,
1: very similar to to what I would do in in practice, to be honest,
0: Um, and you know, all this then Fits in with the the next couple of points, which are important as well, uh, which are spreading your training uh, appropriately, okay, so this is something that's uh, You know, it just is factored into every decent program where you just spread your training appropriately across the week, especially for our clients who have uh, maybe a couple of goals. So for example, somewhere this comes up a lot of of the time is in GA athletes that we would coach. So for example, if they have a training session um, on a Tuesday and Thursday with their club, then we'll try to keep maybe some of the lower body work away from the harder session and things like that. But this applies to core bodybuilding training as well. So it comes back to what split you're gonna do. Do I do full body? Do I do upper lower? Do I do a body part split? And ultimately, you just wanna make sure that you're spreading your training out appropriately so that you're recovered between uh, each workout. And recovered doesn't mean 100%. You know, it's okay to train if you still have a little bit of muscle soreness or if you don't feel 100%, that's fine. Um, And then also that there is crossover between different muscle groups. So for example, if you were squatting Um, on one of your training days, and you were deadlifting on another one of your training days, you wouldn't want to do those two days in a row if you can avoid it, okay? It's no problem to do it two days in a row if if that's just the way your program has to be set up. But if you could put a bit of time between those, then you're probably gonna get a bit more out of, especially the the one that you're doing second, because of the crossover fatigue. Your program should endeavor to minimize crossover fatigue between uh, training days and across the training week as a whole. And that can also uh, extend to within the workout, you know, when you're planning your training, you wouldn't do your deadlifts after doing loads of rows and loads of squats first, if you wanted your deadlifts to be a priority, okay? So you need to figure out what your priorities are, and then figure out what trade-offs you're willing to accept in crossover. So for example, a lot of people might be willing to do their shoulders after their chest training, because they want to prioritize their bench press and get stronger on that while they build muscle, knowing that they won't be able to put quite as much uh, force output, they won't be as strong when it comes to the shoulder work later in the workout. It's a trade-off they're willing to accept. that. That's kind of a personal uh,
1: decision within programming. Yeah, 100%, and this, it goes, like you said, it goes from within the workout and then the workout week overall. And this is something that you see all the time where people will do something like, oh, I'm going to do like a six-day-per-week training program, and they'll do like chest, back, lower back, or lower back, lower body, right? And this is probably one of the worst ways that you can organize your training in terms of minimizing crossover, but it's the way they do it because they're like, oh, well, I actually really care about like the chest muscles, you know, and then maybe I care a little bit less about the back muscles and even further less (laughs) about the lower body training, you know? But will do it. They'll be like, right, first day I'm doing like chest or push muscles, you know, and they, they train those. No no issue with that. And then the next day they train their back and they're doing maybe like rows, bent over rows, whatever. Their lower back is fatigued. Their upper back is fatigued now as a result of that. And then they go in and they're like, yeah, my squat is just so bad. Like any of my like hip hinging, my like rdl it's just so bad. I was like, yeah, every single time you do a lower body session, the day before that session you train the muscles that are required to like stabilize the bar on your back to hold the bar in your hands. When you do your already you know, like you've just maximized for fatigue in your back going into that lower body session, which is fine, right? If you just don't care as much about developing your lower body, right? You're just like, it's just, it's a, it's a lower priority for me. I really care about getting my push muscles and my pull muscles. They're, they're the, they're the priority for me. Cool. Set it up like that. But when you have someone that come to you and they go, "Look, my legs—they just don't grow. They're just—they're, you know—they're not something that I respond well to." And you look at their training, and they're doing something like that. You're like, "Yeah, you're doing everything right in terms of you've got all the sets. You're doing enough sets. You're doing the reps. You're you're pro- progressing appropriately. You're training within a, an appropriate you know uh, proximity to failure, etc. They're doing everything right on paper, right? But then when you look at their training program, you look at it and you go, yeah, like." The way you've set up, the way you've distributed your training across the week just means that you're a little bit more fatigued before this session every single time, right? If we just reorganize your training across the week, we can potentially avoid that. And it's as as simple as like, rather than doing that, like push, pull, legs, push, pull, legs, if you're doing six days per week, now you're just doing legs, pull, push, right? Because there's less crossover fatigue there, right? Now. That might not be the case. You might be someone that just experiences like crippling doms the second day after a training stimulus, you know? So then we would have to be like, right, okay, well now we need to, you know, train around that. That's the kind of thing that you have to deal with, you know? Now we might change around your volume, change different exercises to try to avoid that. But let's just say it is just something that you just always experience. Because I've had clients like that before, like, even if we're like, training in the mid range there's no length and range challenge there's no like you know anything crazy and it's just a normal amount of volume they still just get crippling doms two days after it's just the way their body responds right i'm like cool right so we're gonna just make sure that our training program takes that into account right so that is something that i see a lot of beginners make the mistake of where they just follow a program that isn't optimized for what they need and by just training or just changing around the overall training layout you can get significantly better results as a result right and this kind of makes sense as well for uh and i know we have it mark to talk about later on but like you can organize that training so that you can focus on certain muscles more than others right like say for example you want to i don't know bring up your calves i know everyone wants to have like big juicy calves you know it's a it's a sign of, you know, health and wealth and everything, you know, um, but rather than training at the end of your training session, where you're fatigued, and you're kind of like, oh, like, it's just, it's a, it's kind of an afterthought, you could just put that at the start of your day, right, the start of your training session, I'm gonna do, all oh, I have to do my 20 sets of calves, okay, well, that's the first thing you do when you go into the gym, you know, it's like, you can really organize your training so that, you minimize fatigue for the things that you want to train the hardest or to get the best results with. And oftentimes people don't think of this. They just go, oh, well, this is just how you structure a program. This is how I've always seen programs structured. I always just train the smaller muscle groups at the end of the training session, like my biceps, my triceps, you know, forearms, you know, um, abs, and fucking, I don't know, calves, whatever. They're just like, oh, these smaller muscle groups, they just get trained at the end. And like, that's fine if you're getting good results with those, but if you're getting shitty results, you're just like, yeah, my biceps aren't growing, and I really like that's what I care about most. But train them at the start of your sessions when you're coming in freshest. You're ready to go. Like, yeah, it's probably going to negatively impact, you know, your back training if you're training like back and biceps, you know. But who cares? Because your priority, you're like, oh, my back is fine. Yeah, I still want to see some progression, but the actual thing I want to bring up is my biceps. You know, and again, you can maybe start playing around with the distribution of those exercises across the week. Maybe you do like biceps and then you do like chest you know rather than doing like back and biceps and then you do triceps and uh back or whatever you know like you can play around with these things once you understand the principles it doesn't just have to be like oh well this is how i've always seen training programs done like it doesn't matter it's just a distribution of training right it matters insofar as your recovery the results that you want and your ability to push hard on those exercises across the week like some people that might be doing some sort of like full body training program across the week for other people it's going to be like a body part split for other people it's going to be something completely different some sort of fucking mix you know now there probably is a bottom end to the amount of sets the amount of stimulation that you need in a given workout like if you just go in and go oh i'm just going to do one set you know like yeah it's probably going to do something like if you're just like oh, i'm going to spread my volume out across Spread my volume out across the week, right? There probably still is a lower limit in terms of you still need a certain amount of volume to actually stimulate that muscle growth for that given day. Like, I don't know if it's one set, two sets, three sets. It's probably different for everyone. I would argue it's probably around that kind of like two to three set mark. You need to do at least like two to three sets to really initiate like you know, protein synthesis, etc. That's not to say that doing just a single set for a body part at some stage throughout the week It's not going to give you results, but it is probably better if you're trying to really spread out your volume for that body part. It's probably better to do at least like two to three sets rather than just going in. I'm just going to do like one set here or there because it's all just volume at the end of the day. So it doesn't matter. Like that's like saying similarly with your uh, diet, it's like, oh, well, if I just need to hit like 200 grams of protein per day, that means I need to hit like 1400 per week. So who cares if I just do it all uh, on one day versus spread out throughout the week? You know, it's like, no, you still need to be doing, you still need to hit a certain amount each day, <laughs> you know? So the next couple of points are very much related to each other. The first one
0: being related to the exercises that you choose. This is something we talk about a lot of triage because there is a lot of dogma in the fitness industry in, in, in relation to what exercises people choose. And you know, you'll know you have these guys that just say, oh, just squat bench, deadlift, bro, you don't need to do anything else. You'll have people that talk about machines saying that they're useless. And then you, you probably have people on the other side of the spectrum that every exercise has to be the perfect machine, You know, everything has to be set up absolutely perfectly uh, with bands and, you know, daisy chains and cables and everything has to be perfect. And there's, there's kind of utility in both approaches because the people that are a bit more over-analytical with the exercises that they're choosing, they're doing so generally from with pretty good reasoning, but it's probably just taking it too far relative to the, the benefit that's gonna come from it. Because there comes a point where you're optimizing so much that you kind of lose the practical considerations. Um, for example, how long is the workout gonna take? Can someone even achieve their appropriate volume if they're trying to set up for all this time? And also, with these, all of these different rules in mind, like does this actually apply to this individual's anatomy? And do we know for sure that they wouldn't just get the same stimulus from one of the machines or one of the basic barbell exercises, as you say? Okay, so you don't need to over-optimize. Um, but on the other side of things, the person that says it just, just do barbell exercises there's merit to that in that it's it's quite practical. It's a, it's very much a shotgun approach. If you do all the basic barbell exercises, yes, you're going to train everything. But that means that we let some people fall to the side. You know, they because they maybe find that squats don't give them a great leg stimulus. They just feel it in their back, and they feel it in their hips, and they're not getting a great quad stimulus at all. And while a large proportion of people might get a great quad stimulus, some people won't. So, what you should do is pick the highest yield exercise for your body rather than just what everyone else does, okay? So you might find that, let's say, there's two chest press machines in your gym. You are not sure from an exercise mechanics perspective. You know, you're not a personal trainer yourself. You don't know what the difference really is between those two machines. But you know that when you use one, your chest feels much better, far more stimulus than when you use the other one, which just hurts your shoulders. You don't need any reasoning other than that to just say, do you know what? I'm gonna use this chest press. That seems to make more sense. The same thing goes with free weight exercises. Maybe you're doing a flat dumbbell press and then you do an incline dumbbell press. And when you do the incline, you think to yourself, "God, oh, this feels way better on my chest. and I'm not feeling my shoulders as much. Boom, there's your reasoning. There's your reasoning. So pick the highest exercises for your body. And generally what we would say is, most programs for muscle building should probably feature a mix of some free weights, some machines, and then some cables, which is kind of just machines anyway. That allows you, generally, to hit a muscle from multiple different angles, uh, multiple different resistance profiles, for example, the shortened range versus the lengthened range as the bias, training the full range of motion of the uh, muscle's contractile range, and that's the best approach, really. You know, If you're just doing one exercise per muscle, you're probably maybe leaving some gains on the table. You might still get most of them, but a mix of different types of exercises is probably best. And once you pick your exercises, what you do then is you try to become a, a specialist at performing those exercises, you know, really appropriately, really precisely. So you don't just sit down on the machine or the weight training, the free weight exercise, and just crank out reps. Okay, you you think about. Where do I feel this most? I might want to spend a bit more time there. I might want to slow down, change of direction, so I feel it on my chest a bit more. Um, and you become quite precise in how you perform the exercise, which is then supplemented by things like an internal focus. So you might think when you're doing your chest press, okay, I want to really focus on my pecs. I want to squeeze when I get to the short range and then back down. Okay, And then there might be external focus points as well that help you out. So, for example, one of the things that some people will use is I wanna think like I'm pushing myself back into the bench, okay, or you might think bar up and back. Whatever happens to work for you to help you focus on the muscles. And that's really the key point with all of this. Whether it's how you perform the exercise, the exercises you choose, or where your focus is, the goal really is to stimulate the muscle rather than to maximize the weight that you're lifting on the bar. Because the weight is just a tool. Ultimately, what we're looking for is the stimulus on the muscle. 100%
1: 100% I don't really have anything to add to that and we did have Mark here to just note that you can run like specialization cycles you don't need to be like oh yeah I'll just do the exact same thing that everyone else is doing even though I can clearly see that I'm not getting the results that they want, that the other people are getting like again maybe your biceps need more attention your back whatever the fuck it is. Like, is don't be afraid to increase the volume of those muscle groups and then decrease the volume on other muscle groups that are you know just muscles that respond really really well for you right? Um, I don't think we need to go uh, too deep into that but the next point then is that you need to do all of this stuff for three to ten years <laughs> and that's the unfortunate reality um, where people think oh well I'm just going to be able to completely transform my body in 12 weeks and while it would be lovely to say like oh three months is all you need to you know, get absolutely jacked out of your mind um, but realistically we're looking at Three years at a minimum here, (laughs) you know, Um, and for most people, it's probably closer to 10 plus years, you know, because muscle building takes time. So you need to optimize things again for duration, like duration of time doing things right. That's what you need to optimize for. You're not optimizing for speed. It can be tempting to think like, oh, I'm going to optimize for getting everything perfect, beyond perfect, training harder than ever for 12 weeks. But that's the wrong goal. The goal should be doing that 12 years how do you optimize things so that you can continue doing this for 12 years which I know that's not what people want to hear people want to hear like oh this guy knows secrets he's going to get me phenomenal goal or phenomenal gains in 6 months you know that's all I need to spend with time with this guy getting coaching or whatever right and that's just it's just a lie you know that no one can promise you that unless they're just giving you fucking some of the secret sauce you know they're giving you steroids right Um, so it's just an unrealistic for the vast majority of people again it's going to take a long period of time even if you are enhanced you know it's just going to take a long long time to actually get the results that you want you know do you have anything to say on that gary no it's a, it's a long road and that's it you know yeah. yeah Um. then the other things i just want to say just finally and this is more specific to like actual bodybuilders well the first one is a little bit specific to everyone but like For bodybuilders, obviously, there's some changes in terms of, like, maybe you change your training around dieting versus gaining, whatever, right? Um, We have to remember that when we are trying to gain weight, it is the training that drives the adaptations, right? While you still do get some of the adaptations in terms of, like, muscle building from just calories and protein, right, they both stimulate muscle growth, like, you need to think of your training as the way to guide all of those calories and protein, you know? It's like they guide the process, right? So they're the one, they're the leader, right? The other two are just following along, right? They help support the leader, but the leader is the training stimulus, right? And very often people kind of get this the other way around in their head and they think, oh, I'm just going to optimize the diet and like my training can be like, you know, it's fine. You know, it's just, I'm kind of ticking the boxes. And yeah, like that can work, but it's probably not the best approach overall. Your training is probably what's driving the vast majority of, the growth, right? So if you really optimize your training, you're going to get a bigger return on investment than just really optimizing your diet. Now, obviously for you, maybe your training is already good to all right, so you don't need to like push it further uh, if your diet is like shit, and that's obviously the limiting factor. But if we're talking about all things being equal, you're probably going to get more return on investment from a muscle building perspective if you're ticking the boxes, the baseline boxes with nutrition, and then really making sure your training is phenomenal right we only need a small calorie surplus and we only need to hit our like you know baseline targets for protein to be able to build muscle effectively right but we need to eat enough calories to support the training so again the diet is still fundamental but the training has to be the training stimulus has to be as dialed in as possible if you're really looking to maximize the process and as i said very often people kind of get this backwards and they really focus on like well, I'm just going to eat an extra 500 calories or 1,000 calories and try to like brute force muscle gain, right? And that goes back to the previous point we talked about where that's optimizing for speed and it's not optimizing for duration. So, yeah, you might gain five kilos in a month, but it's it's not actual five kilos of muscle. So, you're just going to have to lose that fat. And as a result, you're going to spend less time in a surplus. And as a result, you're going to have less muscle building opportunity. So... The person who optimizes for duration, like this endurance where it's like, oh, well, I'm going to, I'm just going to take three to five years, three to 10 years, whatever, to like build significant amount of muscle. Can I spend those fucking 10 years in a very small surplus so that I'm ever so slightly gaining all the time? Like that's obviously the absolute pinnacle here of you know muscle building. It's impractical for most people. Most people are going to gain some fat, want to diet down, get leaner for a holiday, whatever. Right. But if you can do that, spend 10 years in this small surplus so you're seeing gains every single week, month, year, fucking whatever, but it's not excessive, that's probably the best approach. Now, I know, again, people don't want to hear that, but it is what it is, right? Now, on the flip side, when you are dieting, like you're trying to lose fat, like you now have a significant fatigue or stressor from the diet by virtue of, you know, you're just not eating enough calories, you know, you're not eating enough, you're not getting enough energy in, right, so as a result, you are probably generating a lot more fatigue from your training, because again, you're just, you just have a lower baseline recovery, right, so as a result, you might actually need to do less training as you diet, you might need to do less sets, you might need to use lighter weights, you know, whatever, right, and that's just something to take into account when you are dieting, you maybe are going to get weaker and you maybe aren't going to be able to do as much as you previously were able to do right so it helps to just kind of flip the thought process in the mind to okay this is not a growth phase i'm not really trying to like excessively progress my training like yeah if you can get some progression going happy days but what you're really trying to do is maintain the progress that you've made so you're still giving an adequate stimulus that you can recover from but the goal is just to maintain the muscle, right? I always call it like gain-taining, where it's like, you know, if we can get some gains here as well, happy days. But the real focus is kind of just like maintaining the progress that we've we've built, right? And so that's just something to take into account. Obviously, that applies a lot more to bodybuilders who are, you know, actually competing and trying to get down to like, you know, whatever six percent body fat or whatever. Versus someone that's just like dieting for a holiday and they get down to like 12% body fat, right? Obviously, there's some fatigue still there, but it's not the same level of fatigue, right? And just on that, one of the things, and bodybuilders don't generally do this, but the general population do, and it is something that, you know, it does take away from the process, is we're not using training, especially not resistance training, as a calorie burning session. You know, like that's not the goal here. The goal of resistance training is to build muscle or maintain muscle, right? So don't turn it into this like, oh, can I burn a thousand calories by virtue of resistance training, right? That's, even if you're dieting, that's just not the goal to have, you know? Yeah, absolutely. A lot of people trade off the the stimulus from their workouts just for
0: sweating, getting their heart rate up and burning calories, you know? It's just not the best approach, okay? So weight training, not for burning calories. it does burn calories, it can be significant, but it's just not the primary goal all right so i think that that brings us just to just to one final point really which is that even if your goal is bodybuilding even if your goal is to maximize your muscle mass cardio should still be performed in some capacity okay so you start by getting your basic steps per day you know aiming for somewhere between let's say six and twelve thousand seven or eight thousand probably is that the average for a lot of people is fine and um, more is fine too, but that's generally where we want people to be, okay? So preserving cardiovascular health, you know, getting energy expenditure up, as we said, this is a better time to try to do that rather than to do it via uh, just the weight training workouts themselves. And then ideally additional cardio in accordance with the recommendations of the previous podcast, okay? So we still want you doing your your um, steady state cardio. We want be getting a couple of hours at least per week um, of that. And don't be worried about that eating into your gains this is something a lot of people worry about will it compromise my muscle gain generally not okay there can be some conditions where maybe it might for example let's say you finish a full body workout that was really demanding and then you go straight into two hours of cardio right after that you're going to be in a very energy depleted state you're not supporting recovery especially if you're not having you know a post-workout shake or something between the, the, the two workouts that can absolutely compromise your gains similarly You do so much cardio that pushes you into a deficit out of your surplus. That'll compromise your gains. But for the most part, if you're practicing good training and nutrition practices, cardio isn't really going to interfere with muscle gain, especially in accordance with just cardio for health. Cardio for endurance training, if you're doing 15, 20 hours a week, that might eat into it. You're not going to be able to recover and perform as well as can,
1: And therefore that can compromise your gains. Okay. So that's all really we have to say on cardio. Because just do just on that thing. as well, like uh, if we're, this is something that you see a lot of people do as well, where they'll do like, oh, well, you know, I don't really like cardio, so I'm just going to do high intensity cardio. So I can get it done, get done in five minutes while I could get done in half an hour in terms of a calorie burn perspective and maybe some of the, you know, heart adaptations, etc. Right. And, um, and unfortunately, high-intensity cardio is the most fatiguing form of cardio. So it's probably going to affect your resistance training then as a result. And you're going to be like, oh, fuck, I can't do any of this cardio stuff because my resistance training suffers. And therefore, my muscle gain suffers. And my muscle building processes suffer, right? So you are actually better off doing, like, lower-intensity stuff. And again, the trade-off, unfortunately, is that it just takes more time, you know? But it's less fatiguing and probably gives you more beneficial adaptations from a bodybuilding perspective, especially if you're enhanced. You know, it's like your heart disease is uh, a pretty bad thing. Uh, and if you're on anabolic steroids, uh, you know, it's an increased risk. Um, but that is something that a lot of bodybuilders kind of fear. They're like, oh, I'm never going to do aerobic cardio. Like, oh, fuck, couldn't do that, you know. And unfortunately or fortunately, that's the best type, I would argue, for A bodybuilder because it's the lowest fatiguing type, and you can actually just do a lot without compromising your muscle building results. Check. I think that covers it all. One hundred percent. So, guys, as always,
0: if you uh, if you enjoy the podcast, make sure to share it. You know, make sure you're subscribed and all that. That really helps us out and um, remember that we have it in multiple forms so if you're listening we also have uh, video format uh, and also if you go on our website you'll be able to get the, the transcript so in some cases people might want to have a look at um, just the, the text of this uh, to remind themselves that we said or maybe to send out uh, a recommendation that we made to a friend that can all be done via the transcript on our website okay in addition to that we have coaching spaces available so if you'd like to work with our expert coaching team towards your muscle building goals your fat loss goals, your health goals, your rehab goals, etc. we can cater for your needs. You can also make sure that you're subscribed um, to our email newsletter, okay, the triage method newsletter, where we provide information that doesn't go out on our public social media. Okay, so you get an article there each week, you get uh, an update of all the stuff that we're posting on social media if you want a weekly roundup, and we also send out uh, special offers as well to our email list. So make sure that you're subscribed there. And if you are on social media and you like following along there, triage method on Instagram, on Twitter, on YouTube, all of them. Okay, we put out a lot of content on YouTube these days. Very high quality content, very useful content. And we actually just had a video last week on this exact topic where we were covering, you know, training volume for muscle building. So that's something to watch if you want to flesh out some of the discussions of volume further. Okay. Uh, I think that's pretty much everything. We do have our nutrition certification, which closes at the end of this month. So make sure this is the last week that you can get involved in that. So if you'd like to get involved before the next intake in six months time, now is the time to do that.
1: 100%.